Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards and this is our latest look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League to around the world. Coming up, Chelsea earn their spurs just to stay top on a goal difference. United's sweet victory over the Toffees keeps them hot on the Blues' heels. City hammer West Ham and rejoice as Salmon gives the Robins some cheer. We'll also have the latest transfer moves for you and... We'll also hear from women's football agent David Fernhead on the inning workings of a transfer during a transfer window. Joining me to look back at the action this week, we have someone who's part of the furniture. It is former Aston Villa and FA media officer, Emily Lyles. Hi, Emily. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm back with us as well. It is Hannah Mendelssohn. Hi, Hannah. Thank you. It's good to be back with you guys. And also joining us this week is the host of the Bristol City Vixen cast, Shahan Mia. Hi, hi Shahan. Hi, Luke. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. So normally we start at the top of the table, but let's go back to Saturday and this happened. And that will be that. A huge moment for Bristol City. A 3-0 win for them. Their first home win in the WSL in nearly two years. Yes, Bristol City have finally won a league game. A comprehensive 3-0 home win over Brighton at Twerton Park. Thanks to a brilliant early Yana Daniels strike and two goals from Ebony Salmon. It was a miserable day for Brighton, compounded with a straight red card for Kaylee Green for a stamp. And Shahan, we were planning to get you on this week regardless, but it's worked out so well. And what a relief to get that first league win under the belt. Definitely, Luke. I mean, uh, it's been uh, a tough season for Bristol, uh, just as, as it was last season. It's Bristol's first WSL win since February 2020 away to Birmingham. And also Bristol's first home WSL win since March 2019. So to say it's been a fair while uh it's it's been it's been coming uh to say like we we we've been waiting for for a long time is definitely uh an understatement and yeah it's just um i think clearly since mad beards come in taken over from tanya oxby who's on maternity leave clearly like the team are just refreshed and they have confidence on the pitch and the training uh is going well it's going different and yeah mad beard um he even shared a post on his instagram before the game saying how well he's fitting it into the club and he has a love for football once again which hopefully is no offense caused to any of the West Ham fans or players or staff there but yeah clearly the mad beard effect is working for Bristol City and hopefully this is the start of uh, some positive results I mean we got uh, Leicester City in the County Cup semi-final this Wednesday and of course we're playing uh, West Ham away so it'll be mad beard's first game back at West Ham this coming Sunday and then uh, against Tottenham on Wednesday, the 10th of February. So it's going to be an interesting next week or so for because, um, yeah, we could have reached our first cup final in many years and, again, creep up the WSL table because we're slowly catching up on Aston Villa and West Ham, who are only two points above us now at the moment. Yeah, it looked a comfortable victory as well, didn't it? Very much so. Like, uh, first of all, starting off with Jan, the Yano Daniels goal from 25 yards like me uh, on, on our latest episode of, of the Vixen cast uh, I asked uh, my co-hosts DM and Nat to see whether they thought she meant it and they they believe that she definitely didn't mean it because to the fact that it bounced off uh, the bar uh, and the, the Brian keeper there's no way she could have called her but it was just incredible and it was Yano Daniels first league goal of the season and then yeah Ebony Salmon um, the the who people used to say was the teenage superstar, but of course she's just turned 20 now, so she's no longer a teenager. Uh, yeah, she was on top form again, getting get 
a goal in the first half. And then, yeah, and in the second half, uh, there was a handball from Victoria Williams, which gave Bristol the penalty to make it 3-0. And as you mentioned earlier, Luke, um, yeah, Kaylee Green tried to challenge Jana Daniels, uh, and it just ended up like stamping her afterwards. And then, yeah, got straight red. So it clearly wasn't Brighton's day. And I know they've been on a bit of a bad run there. They, you know, losing 7-1 to Man City last week. And now, um, yeah, losing 3-0 to Brighton. And I don't know what's going on with Brighton. Like they, you would have thought like they'd be safe or relatively mid table, but yeah, even teams like Bristol and, you know, to an extent, Aston Villa and West Ham could potentially catch up to them and Brighton could potentially fall down in, in, the, in the same direction at the same time. Yeah, Matt, Matt Beard, as, as you mentioned earlier, he's coming from West Ham. He, he seems to be really getting his ideas across well, doesn't he? Very much so. Um, I think uh, for his first game in charge uh, against Everton two weeks ago, um, he only came into the club literally a couple of days before and he even admitted like to using some of the tactics that Tanya had used uh, but then made some changes in the second half of that game. And of course, uh, Bristol went on to lose 4-0, which is a common theme uh, if, if you've been following Bristol's results in the league this season. Um, but the fact that Chelsea, uh, the game against Chelsea got postponed due to what we call on the, on the Vixen cast an outbreak of Snowvid, um, mm-hmm. I think that gave the team more chance to, you know, catch up and have more training, um, get the, the team the players fully fit, because that's what Matt Bitt was looking for um, because he said uh, he wanted to make sure the, all, his his ideal players were all fit enough and the rest of the players were fit enough. Uh, so, of course, as we record this, like we still haven't played Chelsea at home yet. That game's due to be confirmed. But, of course, had that game gone ahead, potentially, um, Chelsea could have reached their 32-streak unbeaten record at that game. So, luckily, they didn't at that game. So, thank you to them, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, Matt Baird just doing a fantastic job. Um of course, like um, he's only there until the end of the season. I was going to say that because then Tanya comes back. I mean, yeah, I mean that's how Stan. Yeah, it's it's kind of you're in a sticky situation because if he pulls off a miracle, all of a sudden it's kind of like, what do you do? I mean, um, this is something like myself and uh, DM and Nat and other Bristol fans were questioning um early in the season as to why haven't the club made a decision like, or why haven't the club you know considered changing the coach or change the manager. Of course, we didn't know at the time that Tanya wasn't pregnant. And of course, there's the whole other conversation, you know, whether you sack someone while they're pregnant, because from a HR and PR mm. point of view, that would just look really bad. So hence the sticky it's, situation, it's, Shahan, you know. Yes. And uh, obviously the club made the decision in January to bring Matt Beard in. However, according to the club statements, uh, it was plans weren't placed for the last few months anyway, because with the ongoing pandemic, of course, people, um, uh, anyone who is pregnant in the workforce will ideally have to go, you know, be working from home uh, earlier than usual. And of course, Tanya herself had COVID while she was pregnant towards the end of last year. So from from that p- point of view, it's probably just another precaution. But yes, um, it, which is actually what's going to happen for the rest of the season because I think, yeah, um, if the standard of the football keeps going up, then I'm pretty sure the club may wish to reconsider, you know, whether Matt Beard might stay longer because, of course, he has a previous relationship with Lee Billiard, who's the head of women's football at Bristol City because they both worked together at Boston Breakers in America mm. several years ago. So what, how could, what, I'm going to, I'm trying to be careful how I, ref- how I phrase this question, but what what's changed under Matt Beard? Where's it all gone wrong this season? Because, Without wanting to sound harsh, you, you have been pretty hopeless results-wise, haven't you? 
I mean, it's 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 hard to define really because the I mean the players have clearly been giving it all. Like, there's clearly no frustration, or at least not on the match day. But it's just more like chances or you know just simple mistakes which cost uh, the team. You know, like giving away possession or counter attacking, which just doesn't quite work. And um, I think it's just like, yeah, t- um, Tanya Oxabi's um, strategy was more like you know having the opposition invade our half you know, and counter attack that way, and some. Most of the time it's worked, but other times it just hasn't. And there's just miscommunication between the defense, hence why the goal difference Bristol has compared to all the other teams is so high and all the goals being conceded. But, um, and also just, again, I don't know whether if there was any hostility or, or like awkwardness between any of the players and like Tanya's management, I suppose. But um, yeah, I think it might be just a massive coincidence, you know, if the, results keep turning into W's throughout the rest of the season yeah. while Matt is in charge. We've been saying it throughout the season that if you get one win, it just puts the pressure on the teams above you. You're now only five points behind Brighton, who you beat, only two points behind Aston Villa and West Ham. And, and as we mentioned earlier, wouldn't you know it, this this weekend you travel to West Ham and it's a quick return there for Matt Beard. Yes, definitely. Um, of course, I mean, well, we can't have how the fixtures uh are scheduled. I mean, um, of course, the the Brighton game on Saturday was meant to happen a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so at least we have the fact that had we had lost that game, we would, would have played every single team in the WSL once and not beaten any of them. So the fact we finally got that win against the last team we we were yet to play in the league uh, was very uh, wonderful. And yeah, of course, West Ham, again, under the new manager, Oli Hard, they haven't really found their form or or would or really haven't found their quick turnaround. They lost City uh 4-0 on Sunday. And of course that they're playing midweek as well against Chelsea in, in the other Conti Cup semi-final. So um mm. yeah it'll be interesting to see you know if West Ham win that game then and Bristol win against Leicester and then of course it could be a Bristol versus West Ham final so we could be playing them twice. I was just wondering, because obviously you're in the semi-final for the Conti Cup, so what do you think has worked in cup matches that hasn't worked in league matches? Um, well, with the Conti Cup, um, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but in our group, uh, in Bristol's group, all the other teams were from the championship. <laughs> and and I, I don't know whether like there's a big evident gap or divide you know, between the WSL teams and the championship teams, but... Yeah, um, we were we comfortably beat um, Crystal Palace, uh, Lewis, and uh, London Bees in our group games, and then in our core final against Aston Villa, who beat us four nil or beat Bristol four nil a few weeks before, uh, we managed to beat them in the core final, even though it, even if it was Mane Iwobuchi's first game for for Villa, and of course for some um, one of those County Cup group games, uh, Tanya wasn't in charge because it, uh, Gary Probert, who is the men's academy manager took over for the game against Lewis while Tanya was recovering from COVID. And yeah, obviously uh, that game against Aston Villa, the core final was Tanya's last game in charge before it was announced the day after that Matt Bear had now taken up for the rest of the season. Um, realistically, I mean, reaching the cup semi-final is great. Reaching the cup final was even better. Winning the cup final was the best. However, because I love, B- I love the WSL and I love, you know, my team being the WSL, if you had to ask me if I had to pick winning the Conti Cup or staying in the WSL, I'm sorry to the Conti, the Conti Cup, mm. but I'd rather choose staying in the WSL. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be an interesting test in that game, isn't it? Because you're playing Leicester are going really well in the championship. I saw them beat Liverpool a couple of weeks ago and they'll see that as a good test as they're taking on a WSL side and can they beat them? So uh, really important game, like you say. Yes, definitely. And of course, uh, this year will be the first time that neither Man City or Arsenal will be in a Conti Cup final um, based on the stat I read from somewhere. Um, and course it's bristol's first county cup semi-final since 2012 and i think it's leicester's first ever time i know leicester yeah as you said the top of the they're a fully professional team now uh compared to some other teams in the championship who aren't necessarily aren't um of course there's plenty of who we call vixens in disguise as in former bristol players who are leicester now such as uh millie farrow and uh their ferguson and yeah it's, um of course i I, like many other people, would have assumed Liverpool, who just got relegated last season, would have been flying in the championship, but clearly they're still struggling. Of course, they're still having, as we record this, I don't know if they found a replacement for Vicky Jepson as, as manager, but yeah, Leicester flying along with Durham, but I think Leicester is top only in goal difference. And it will be interesting to see what happens on Wednesday because, as we call in the Vixen cast, it's the Vixens versus the Foxes. The Vixens, of course, being like the old nickname for Bristol, especially back back when they were at uh, Nimbus Bristol Academy. And I've just got a quick question for you as well, if that's okay. So sure. obviously we we talk about the league a lot on this podcast and we talk about Bristol, um, unfortunately being on some of the, the wrong end of results this season. Can you just give us a bit of intel into what kind of the view is internally across the fan base, across the club? Because I know often there can be a lot more belief internally sometimes and a different attitude towards what people are seeing internally and people that follow a team closely all the time to, to say ourselves and certainly myself that hasn't really watched Bristol this season and doesn't know the club inside and out. Yeah, so uh, I think that's a good question, Emily. So obviously for those who are like neutrals or just casual fans who who probably see a result, like a losing result and think, oh, wow, Bristol City women are doing terrible. But uh, of course, as part of the podcast, I had to watch all the games as well as my co-host. And um, yeah, the results don't really tell the full story of the games because there's some great play. I mean, uh, in a lot of the games, like even um, for example, a few months ago when we were away to Arsenal, we only lost 3-1, which was already an improvement compared to last season when we lost 11-1 to them. But yeah, I think in, in that game, for example, uh, we really like, or Bristol really tired the Arsenal defence and there was plenty of, I think one moment we picked out was when Beth Mead just really frustrated and like, uh, you know, Bristol's defense just like counter-attacking or, or defending against uh, opportunities like that. And of course, there's been some situations where it just hasn't been against our favor, most notably in November when um, the club had a five players missing due to having to self-isolate because someone showed symptoms and it was, this was on the morning we were due to, uh, Bristol would due to travel up to Man City. Uh, I personally think the game shouldn't have gone ahead at that time. I mean, the club did request a postponement, but the FA thought, no, you can, you've got enough players, apparently. So they had to draft in some academy players at the last minute, and luckily they did. Um, but of course, you have to remember in that context, 48 hours before, Bristol City were playing away to Crystal Palace in the Conti Cup. So again, there's just other things as well, like league fixtures and timing and of course there's the whole Dubai gate situation where I mean no Bristol players apparently were affected or took part in those activities but when you see those team that teams of those players you know who were able to request postponements and then were granted 
and then Bristol won, for example, obviously like throughout January, a lot of players or fans throughout the game just for, oh, maybe the FA could potentially have some double standards to have a preference towards, you know, bigger teams or teams more close to the top of the table. Um, again, I think it's just coincidence. And, but it's nice to feel like many other football fans felt support, you know, for fans like me who felt like my team had been wronged. Absolutely. <laughs> Emily, we keep mentioning Brighton and we mentioned about them being in no man's land a little bit. Do you think their season is drifting already? Do you know what, Luke? Actually, for the first time this weekend, I'd probably say there's a chance that it is. And I think earlier on in the season, they were performing, but perhaps not always getting the results. So they were drawing games and they probably should have won. But now they are losing games that they probably shouldn't be losing. And I think that that is quite disconcerting. I think, I suppose you look at the table and there are other teams in and around that relegation battle as well, which might work in their favour because I think they're in that position that if they win a game, then I wouldn't say they're safe, but they're in a good position again. But I think certainly in terms of form and performances, it is starting to get a bit worrying for them now. I was going to say, do you think think they're safe already? Well, I'd have to say, I think anyone that has Hope Powell as their manager probably doesn't have that attitude, just knowing, you know, what a determined figure she is and, and, you know, her pedigree in the game. And I suppose it's hard, it's hard for us to say that, but I I think I, I could probably imagine if there was kind of a subconscious feeling of that sometimes, because they've had, they've had at least what, three clubs below them um, throughout the season. Um, And I think they probably will have enough to stay up, but at this moment in time, it is, you know, probably a bit extreme to say they're in free fall, but they are really struggling. And whether that's a confidence thing or just a general form issue, I really don't know. As we mentioned, West Ham, they went down to a 4-0 defeat at Manchester City. They carry on their good recent form. Four different scorers for City as well. It took just nine minutes to break the deadlock because Caroline Weir pounced on some suspect defending. And then there was further goals from Georgia Stanway and a lovely header from Ellen White before Rose Lavelle pounced on a rather comedic slip from poor old Maz Pacheco. If, you, if you've not seen it, Pacheco falls over like she's had her shoelaces tied together. It, it's quite funny. Probably not for her, but for anyone else watching it, it is. Uh, and the win leaves City still five points behind in third place. But Hannah, once the first goal went in early and there was only going to be one winner, wasn't there? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you look at that City score sheet and it's just a who's who of who plays for them and who scores for them. It was like... They, they were really good and on really good form and West Ham are just kind of like just struggling a bit um I mean with with like Weir, Stanway, White and Lavelle all on the score sheet you think you think that City are still maybe in with a shot of the title maybe I don't know Chelsea whether or not they're reachable but um it was definitely a very very strong performance from the side and I think that they all looked really strong Emily, Arsenal away next for City, then the derby at home to United and, and City boss Gareth Taylor said it's going to come down to those games. Who's successful in those games will have a bearing on the title. Now, four points is the minimum they probably require from that if they want to have a shout of winning a title. Yeah, definitely. And I think any neutral is probably glad that City are coming into form now because I think, you know, they win those games. Or as you say, if they get four points out of those games, they're firmly in the race, um, probably what, three or four weeks ago, that that didn't necessarily look possible, certainly before Christmas. Their form didn't lend itself to that being likely to happen. So, 
Yeah, look, it's an exciting time, isn't it? I think we've seen how how dominant Chelsea are in the vast majority of games they play. United are the same. Um, but, you know, when these teams, when these big teams are starting to play one another, that's when there's potential separation there. And I think it's a really exciting few weeks ahead. Shahan, I'm guessing you'll be hoping that West Ham defend in a similar fashion this coming weekend, don't you? Yeah, yes, very much. <laughs> in a way, very much so. I hope Mas Pacheco could do some more um, falls, I suppose, you know, or dives or whatever. But um, yeah, um, I mean, like, as I said earlier, of course, West Ham are playing midweek as well. So uh, on, on, the, on the same day as Bristol playing Leicester. So both both teams will have, you know, amount the same amount uh, of rest and preparation for Sunday's game. Of course, West Ham, you know... Um, the somewhat affected, um, you know, but through the transfer window, they've they've lost Alicia Lehman, all known to Everton, and uh, Cho to uh, to Spurs, and of course they lost Rachel Daly, who's gone back to America. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what will happen uh, on on Sunday between the two teams. Yeah, and we'll have a, a roundup of that for you next weekend. Now, Chelsea, they won 4-0 against Spurs at Kings Medal Smooth Down, beaten run to 33 games in the WSL. A long-range strike to open the scoring from Melanie Leopold's and an own goal from on-goal Man United defender Abby McManus. A bit harsh to give her an own goal as well. It took a deflection and looked up over the goalkeeper. And then Sam Kerr saw the Blues go 3-0 up after just 38 minutes before Leopold's added another from the penalty spot. And Emily, people look at it and say comfortable victory, but up until Chelsea scored, Shalina Zadorsky sent a left-footed shot narrowly wide. Uh, Rhea Percival had a good effort tipped onto the post by Anne-Catherine Berger. And Catherine Berger also had to save well from Kit Graham. So Spurs have got that first goal. It could have been an interesting afternoon, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. And I know we spoke last week about Rianne Skinner and, and the impact that she's having. And again, when you look at a 4-0 scoreline, it probably feels a bit strange sort of saying that and complimenting the performance. But you're quite right. It wasn't. It wasn't quite as it appeared. A lot of teams are going to get beaten by Chelsea and probably quite comprehensively as well. And I think overall Tottenham, especially when you take into consideration their previous results, will probably be, you know, I'm not happy, of course, with losing 4-0, but probably, you know, will be content with, with elements of their play. Yeah, Hannah, I was going to say, it's a good victory for Chelsea, that because Spurs are really in form at the minute, aren't they? I think so, yeah. And for a clean sheet, that's obviously what uh, Chelsea would want, but not necessarily guaranteed with uh, Spurs kind of, you know, newfound form. Um, so I definitely think that they'll be pretty happy uh, with that. And obviously as well, with the title race being so close, you want those clean sheets for the goal, di- goal difference. So a very good win for Chelsea. Yeah, and Shahan, Spurs have a couple of games in hand now, so they can certainly target that fifth spot, can't they? Yes, very much so. And um, of course, it's, it's Tottenham's uh, second season in the WSL. And um, while teams like Bristol, are, you know, haven't, well, it's weird like, how teams like Spurs and Man U have managed to have the investment and bring all these big names, um, like, a, you know, a, like Alex Morgan, for example, who, who's, of course, now gone back to America. Um, yeah, in, in that time, teams like Bristol haven't been able to quite catch up in terms of like the investment and like the attractability as such. But of course, Tottenham seem to be doing very well under new manager Rehan Skinner. Um, I'm guessing, obviously, things with Count Hills and Juan Carlos Amoros, who's now Real Betis. Uh, I think, yeah, things just didn't quite fully work out towards us as the season went on. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, more from Abby McManus. It's very unfortunate that she ha- ha- scored that own goal technically, but um, 
And also, I just w- want to wish uh, Gerald into Becky Spencer because who got injured uh, during uh, training for the game against Chelsea. And of course, uh, Sophie Whitehouse, who's that backup goalkeeper, went on loan to Birmingham. So uh, it was up to, oh, what was her name? Uh, well, Mickelson, yeah, who made her debut for Spurs. Manchester United, they remain level on points with Chelsea at the top of the WSL. It was a good, solid victory at Walton Hall, 2-0 over Everton. The game was won in the first half thanks to goals from Leah Galton and Kristen Press. And despite Everton having a lot of possession in the second half, it was a comfortable afternoon for Mary Earps, barring one save she had to make from Jill Scott, who was making a second Everton debut. But Hannah, since that defeat at Chelsea, two different types of victories for United, a really dominant display against Birmingham and then a good professional performance against Everton. Yeah, I mean, I think that Man United are fierce competition. You know, they're very efficient under Casey Stoney and she has super high expectations of them. If they're not, I think they will be in contention the whole season. Um, Maybe not top, but definitely I can see them getting a spot for Europe. It wouldn't surprise me if they stay where they are because they are looking good. Leah Galton's on really good form in a minute and she's proven to be a key player, isn't she, Emily? Yeah, she's an absolutely exceptional player, isn't she? And I think that's the thing that they United certainly have, you know, within their exit at their disposal. They've got so many quality players across the board, so many young players as well, which is really exciting. Um, they're obviously a massive draw, aren't they, for for players to go there for for various reasons. You know, the name in itself attracts attracts players and the, and the general investment they've had there. But yes, she's doing exceptionally well. And then when she's not playing well, someone else steps up. And I think what's been really, really refreshing is okay, you've had the big names come in this season, but actually there's a, you know, people across the board and players across the board contribute, which is which is really exciting for them. Yeah, and Shahan, Willie Kirk will be really disappointed that they allowed United to get a foothold in the game early on. Well, it left them really chasing the game, didn't it? And it was always going to be an uphill task after that, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so, Luke. And of course, like, you know, uh, Willie Kirk losing to his, you know, ex-colleague, uh, Casey Stoney, of course, because the two worked together when they were both in the championship and Man United. And uh, yeah, it's, um, of course, Man as Emily was saying, uh, yeah, are flying. And at one point, they were top of the league. And of course, like, even with Tobin Heath, who's out for up to 10 to, tw- 10 to 12 weeks with uh, uh, ankle issues, um, yeah, it's clear to see, you know, Man United flying. And, you know, they've um, they've, they've clearly dominated, like, the, the league in, the, in, the, in only their second ever season in the WSL. And of course, they are, bringing in the big name still, um, especially from Chelsea. It's going to be an, an interesting one, certainly. Uh, Emily, we talked about a no-man's land for Brighton earlier, and that could be a case a little bit for Everton, couldn't it? They have two games in hand on Reading, who they're two points clear of. So if they win those, they can go eight points clear of them, 11 ahead of Spurs, potentially, but probably won't have enough to catch Arsenal. No, it's, it's it's a shame, really, isn't it? Especially when at the early part of the season, we were really waxing lyrical about Everton. Um, they were the team to beat, weren't they, at one point? And it's a shame that I think when they've come up against those above them, they've really, really struggled. And I think, you know, that they were probably where the tests were going to come. And, you know, they've lost those games and unfortunately lost them quite comprehensively. But you know what, I think there's still a lot for them to be positive about. Um, I guess for them, you're, you're quite right. They're probably just targeting that fourth spot now. And if they could do that, if they could secure that, it would be a great season. But yeah, you just hope for their sake, really, as you say, they don't drop into that kind of no man's land and the season peters out a bit because I think their season overall, if that happened, it wouldn't be a reflection of their season overall, I should say. Mm, and I, I just want to say something else. Like, 
obviously I don't think Everton will be in relegation trouble. They've, they're clearly settled into at least mid-table, but want to push for at least the top spots. I remember reading an interview with Willie Kirk, Kirk saying like, if a team like Everton can't push uh, to reach for the Champions League or Champions League spot, then, then there's no point in playing the WSL. I mean, at the time I saw that, I thought, ooh, you know, from a handbag uh, gesture point of view. But um, but of course, yeah, Willie Kirk, he's doing, he seems to be doing reasonably well with Everton. Uh, of course, he was former, a former Bristol City manager who unfortunately took got the team relegated but then promoted back to the WSL a few years ago. And he clearly has the support, the structure and the investment from the club. So Arsenal, they didn't play this weekend. Their game at Aston Villa was called off due to a waterlogged pitch. Later on, we'll hear from football agent David Fernhead on transfers as the window shut in the WSL and the Championship this week. But up next, it's a review of the one game that took place in the Championship. So, let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free 1U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you. And in the Championship on Thursday, Charlton lost 1-0 at home to London City Lionesses, who continued their good form. And then on Sunday, they welcomed Blackburn Rovers. They got off to a great start with Rachel Newbra opening the scoring, and that was cancelled out by Elise Hughes from the penalty spot. And Hannah, a missed opportunity for Charlton this week to climb off the foot of the table. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's close down there, and you don't want to be missing out, missing those opportunities. It's really unfortunate for them. I think they'll be very frustrated, but hopefully there's still time for them to get those points because it is, you know, they're one point away from Coventry who are one point away from the London Bees. So it's going to be a tight race at the top and bottom of the league, I think. Yeah, Shahan, they do still have games in hand on the teams above them. So all is not lost. And it's a bit like yourselves, isn't it? If they can just get one win, that will put the pressure on Coventry and London Bees, won't it? Yes, very much so, uh, Luke. Um, of course, like, um, as I said, uh, but due to the accessibility issues for the championship compared to the WSL, unfortunately, I don't get to see as many championship games as I would have liked. Um, I, I, I am. Um, I did hear about the result between Charlton and Blackburn, and of course, they have a few players who, as a Bristol City fan, I'm aware of, of course, because Elise Hughes was on loan from Everton at Bristol City this time last season before she unfortunately suffered an ACL injury, and uh, Charlton have former Bristol City players, including Ella Rutherford and Arthur Cummins. Of clearly uh, doing well at Charlton, so um, yeah, I, ju- I just have Charlton who are bottom of the table. I believe, like, yeah, they're only a point behind Coventry and two points behind um, London Bees. I hope they. It's weird because uh, yeah, there's only like like in the W W S L. There's only one relegation spot um, this season, and um, yeah, I just hope both Blackburn and Charlton, you know, you know, can get enough points to stay up in the Championship. Emily, the heat's on down there at the bottom okay. now, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, Luke. And I think like you only have to look at the form table, don't you? And, you know, I'm sure Charlton are pleased to see, you know, that draw on there now that they didn't have before after four losses. And yeah, it's certainly very, very tight, isn't it? I mean, you look at, say, 9th, 10th, 11th. It's a difficult one to call, especially when you when you take into consideration that London Bees have, of course, played a couple of games more than the two below them. And yeah, it's 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 huge. It's tense. And I think you know, as we alluded to earlier on, it's 
getting relegated from the championship is is big. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate getting relegated from any league is a big deal, but I think then going into the National League, it's it's a different kettle of fish down there again and, you know, very, very difficult to, to get out of. And, yeah, you just, yeah, it would be too tough to call, I think, at this point. So as I mentioned, the transfer window in the WSL and the championship closed and some of the transfer that took place in the WSL, as, as we mentioned earlier, Swiss international Alicia Lehman signed for Everton on loan from West Ham. West Ham then brought in Dagny Brignas Dottier. Uh, she came into West Ham on an 18-month deal from the Icelandic side Selfloss. Uh, the Icelandic international said she supported West Ham all her life, so it's a dream come true. Uh, as Shahan mentioned earlier, Birmingham has signed Sophie Whitehouse from Spurs to add competition for Hannah Hampson. In the Championship, London B signed Enerly Donovan from Lewis and Mia Cruikshank has also moved to the Hive on loan from West Ham, while Charlton have added to their ranks by adding another West Ham player on loan in Angie Dunbar. Somebody else leaving the Hammers on loan in the past week is Korean international team captain Cho So-hyun as she joined Spurs on loan. And she was welcomed to Spurs by Song Hyung min this week via Twitter. And the man that made it happen is her agent, David Fernhead, and I spoke to him about how the deal came about. So David, busy week for you as an agent, certainly with the transfer deadline that's just happened over the last few days. And, and the biggest one, of course, as we mentioned, was Cho going from West Ham to Spurs. Just tell us how that all came about. Yeah, I think it might have been a surprise to some people. Um, obviously, with the, the history of, um, you know, probably more in the men's game, the, the sort of rivalry between West Ham and Spurs. Uh, but I think it really just came about from an inquiry by um, by Tottenham, um, just inquired to West Ham whether they would be interested in, um, you know, selling Cho or, or, you know, taking her, if they could take her on loan. With the change in manager that West Ham have got, Ollie plays a, a very sort of different style. He's bringing in his own style. Uh, I think he will get results for West Ham. I think he will, you know, he'll build his own team and, and, and he got results in Norway and he'll do the same for for West Ham. Um, so I, I, you know, I know people, a lot of West Ham fans are thinking, why are we, you know, selling talent? Why is Lehman going? Why is Cho going, etc. But I, I think, you know, this season really for West Ham with a new manager is about restructuring for them. Um, you know, Jack runs a, a, a tight ship in terms of, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to run a female football club and keep it in budget. Got a manager in there who will do a job for them um, and they've got to be able to afford bringing in new players. Um, so I just think it was a, it was a win-win for, for everyone. Tottenham got a player who fits really well in, in to Rianne's system, the way Rianne wants to play football. Um, you know, and West Ham have got the opportunity to, you know, they, they brought in a, an Iceland, a very talented Icelandic player for, for this window. I'm sure there's going to be more in the summer. They're in a, a period of rebuilding, um, you know, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of lose faith or panic too much if you're a West Ham fan. So is it a case of it's a loan till the end of the season with an option to buy then? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, a lot of that really is, is for the, you know, the old Brexit visa situation as well that we're having. There's a lot of uncertainty. So you've seen a lot of loans happening um, between clubs because of the fact that, you know, nobody knows really what boat we're in until the Brexit situation sorted out and the visa situation sorted out because there's lots of delays. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a six six month there with with a view to sort of signing her on a, on a permanent basis. So when you said Spurs got in touch with West Ham, how does that happen? Did they contact the club and then the club contact you, or the club speak to the player and the player then speaks to you? No, it's, so basically the the 
Tottenham will, will contact a, a club or, the, or the, the buying club will contact the club that owns the player and basically just ask them whether they would be interested. If the club are interested, then I'll contact the agent and the agent obviously speaks to the player. Um, and then it's a case of sort of negotiating terms to ensure that both clubs are happy and also that the player's happy with the deal. Yeah, and then and and how's how's Cho feeling? Because obviously she's only been in the UK, I think, six months or so. So obviously she's staying in London, but she's she's obviously settled into life now in in the UK. Yes, I mean she's very much a, a London-based player, um, so she she's a, used to London, likes it here. Um, so you know Tottenham coming in was was probably an easy sell for her because um, she knew that you know she'd be in and around London. Um, spoke to Rianne as well, the coach. And what she told Cho about the way she hopes that, that Tottenham are going to progress and, and the style of football they play, um, all matched up perfectly with with you know Cho's ambition and also the way the type of football that Cho likes to. Play. It was it was a good fit. And does it help as well that Cho's got other Korean players in in the WSL? Most notably, got she's got like G, for example, at Chelsea. I suppose that helps as well. Yeah, I think so. I think having you know th- there's four. Uh, Korean players now based um, on the women's side, now based in the South. Um, obviously, they've, they've got Song, is in the South as well. Um, and Jason Park, who, who used to play for Manchester United, he now lives um, just outside of London as well. So and there is a, a big Korean community. So obviously, that having that background all helps with players settling into the country. And in terms of the, the transfer window itself, I mean, it's has it been a, a pretty busy one for you as well? Pretty hectic one? Um, to be honest, it's not been that busy apart from Cho's deal. Uh, but Cho's deals took quite a bit of negotiation um, to get everybody at, everybody at a place where they needed to be to be happy with it. Um, and at the end of the day, I think everybody did a good deal and, and in the best interest of their own, their own club. As an agent, then, do, do you love this time of year or do you just prefer the summer transfer window? Do, does January, does it all feel a bit rushed? When, when January comes around, you just think, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah, pretty much. January window is, is you know, you've got, we're in the summer, you've got quite a few months to do a deal. Clubs are properly restructuring, properly looking for who's coming in, who's coming out, looking ahead to the new season. January window tends to be the you know quick moves we need someone in because we've got somebody injured or we can't get somebody at the moment and and it's all very rushed um you you do get the disparity so Cho actually arrived when she originally came to the UK in January because of the fact that the Korean season runs in a calendar calendar year so her season had finished when she first arrived um so for her it's quite normal to move in in January um but for for an agent it requires a lot more work um and everything has to go much speedier just to get the, the deal done real uh well nice one thanks for that david it's, uh, it's given us a bit more of an insight into how everything works and thanks for joining us no problem so just before we go there's one more piece of news guys that came out this week and it's that additional permanent concussion substitutes that we used in the wsl and championship from this coming weekend the fa said with player welfare the priority the protocols will be allowed a maximum of two concussion substitutes to be used per team, with the opposition side able to use the equivalent number. The additional concussion substitutes may be made regardless of the number of substitutions a team has made already. Emily, you've worked at the FA in the past. This is something they've been pushing for a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think it's you know it's a really positive addition. Um, as we know, it's always a huge talking point, and rightly so, um, both from a medical point of view and from a sporting point of view. And I think 
yeah, you what you've just read there, Luke, in terms of the the official wording and statement, as you like, just suggests that you know it's not just a good protocol and process to bring in. It's actually fair because it's the same for both teams, regardless of the situation. And I think. You know, look, I think it will be welcome. I think it's important. Um, We've seen like in rugby, the HIA, the head injury assessment system that they have there. And, you know, it's very, very effective, uh, you know, hopefully preventing concussions. And you just hope that that's the same in this situation, because, you know, like anything, a quick response and immediate response and a realisation of, you know, an alleged concussion, if you like, or or a full on concussion is is really really important in terms of the recovery of that individual so yeah look I think it's it's very very welcome and it will be interesting to see how it sort of pans out towards the end of the season it feels like a breakout moment as well doesn't it or a breakthrough moment because the fact that the women and the men's game have introduced it at the same time massively and you know obviously I spend a lot of time and speak to a lot of people who are into their rugby and they were saying oh you know how will it work and you know I think that's the thing. The fact that it is being rolled out across the men's and the women's game, people will become accustomed to it quickly. And more importantly, as you say, the fact that there's that equality across the board, it hasn't been trialled in one and not the other is, you know, it's, it's, it's a landmark moment, as you say. Excellent. Well, that's a great note to finish on. Don't forget to subscribe to us via all good podcasting platforms and also give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram. It's the Women's Football Podcast Many thanks to Shahan for joining us this week. Thanks, Shahan. Thanks, Luke. And uh, thank you for having me on today. And can I just, uh, yeah, just quickly share uh, for, for all you, for all the listeners out there who wish to follow the Bristol Sea Box Vixen Cast, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BC Vixen Cast. Uh, we're also on Facebook if you still use that for some reason. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Shahan Shahan, and my Instagram is Shahan X Shahan. I'm sure it'll be well worth a listen this week after that win. Uh, Emily and Hannah, thank you very much as well for joining us. Look after yourselves and we'll be back next week.